This is our number three of the John and Leah show. My name is John Ziegler, and this is the program where we talk about the news of the week, and often we discuss the bizarre events of our own lives, where we also provide you with the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth that the news media won't tell you, even when it oftentimes is directly against our own self-interest to do so. It's kind of what I specialize in, telling truths that are against my own self-interest. Leah Brandon is recovering from surgery this week. We hope to have her back next week. Still lots to get to in this hour number three of the program. I want to continue with our weekly look at the race for the White House 2016. And in a moment, I'm going to talk about what to expect from the Republican convention, a convention that will likely be like no other. But first, I do want to examine just a little bit more about the state of the race with regard to the polls, because I've been very outspoken saying that I do not believe that Donald Trump can realistically beat Hillary Clinton. Now, I, I have said that there are certain events that could theoretically alter that dynamic. And, you know, in my mind, I've always thought about something dramatic happening in one event, like a, you know, a complete stock market collapse or a 9-11 type attack. Or if we found an email with Hillary Clinton dissing Beyonce or Taylor Swift or Katy Perry or ideally all three of them. I mean, that would actually be the, the best way for the easiest way for Donald Trump to win. If, if we could find forget about all the email scandal. If in that story we could find an email where Hillary Clinton disses Beyonce, Taylor Swift or Katy Perry, she'd be toast because, you know, that's her demo right there. So barring any of that, I've thought there's not much chance, but I'll tell you what, if these terror attacks against police, and that's what they are, if these terror attacks continue for much longer, I, it could change the race. I'm not making a prediction on that, but I got to tell you, if this, if this goes on much longer, I think it's going to give people some real pause about where we are and where we're headed and, and make them convinced that this ain't working. This isn't what we were promised. And even though they might be very uncomfortable with Donald Trump, that maybe just maybe they'd be willing to go in a different direction because, you know, when you, when you know it's not working, then maybe anything different is worth it. But let's be clear, it would have to be very dramatic because the polls, even though Hillary has lost some of her lead, just as I predicted she would, I predicted it in a column, and I think I predicted it on this program, that I thought post the uh, the non-indictment, but the basically the evisceration of her by the, the uh, head of the FBI, James Comey, that, that she would lose some support, that, that there's a good chance that Donald Trump would be effectively tied with her. And I, that's going to be my prediction. I think that by maybe um, eight days from now, you know, the post-convention polls, I think that Trump is likely to be tied. The problem is that's not good enough. He would have to be significantly ahead to endure what's going to come in the next several months. First of all, you got Hillary's convention, which comes after his. You got Hillary's vice presidential nominee, which comes after his. You got the debates, which I'm convinced are not going to be good for Trump. In fact, could be disastrous. And then you got the media onslaught. And let's be clear, the news media, in my view, is like the ultimate goalkeeper on this election. 
I mean, even if Trump gets past everything else, if he's still got a chance going to that last month, they're just they're just gonna go completely ape crap on him. They're gonna, you know, other than Fox News Channel and 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 Drudge Report, I mean, eighty five percent of the news media is gonna treat him like Jerry Sandusky. That's what they're gonna do. They're gonna go. They're just gonna completely destroy him if they need to, if it's still close enough. Now, if he's behind by five or six points, they probably won't because to do that would destroy the the drama. But if they need to, they will. And that's that's Hillary's ultimate weapon that she has in her back pocket. Not that the news media has as much power as they used to, but when they work in unison, they can usually destroy somebody pretty darn well, even somebody like Donald Trump. Uh, and so... You know, these polls this week have indicated that Hillary's lost support. That's exactly as I expected. But they've also shown zero improvement in the view of Donald Trump. And that's why I'm so confident that Donald Trump is not going to win. Because he's already universally known. He's got a 100% name ID, which is highly, highly unusual for someone before they've even gotten the nomination at their convention. And so he's already 100% well-known by virtually every voter, and he's incredibly disliked, not just a little bit, enormously disliked, and most importantly, not considered qualified. And those are the numbers, and there were some interesting numbers that came out just today that were really dramatic here. And I felt this all along, that this would be the key number. For all the reasons to hate Hillary... And she's very dislikable. It doesn't matter. Because the key question is, do you find her qualified? And do you find Donald Trump qualified? Qualified meaning with experience, temperament, what have you. And the numbers are overwhelming. Overwhelmingly, Americans do not believe that Donald Trump is qualified. And they do believe, not as by large numbers, but large enough, a majority, believe that Hillary Clinton is qualified for the job. And so everything else is kind of like window dressing. You may hate both of them. You may not agree with either of them on the vast majority of issues. You may not want to have to have either of them in your living room for the next four years. But if you're hiring for a position, it's always going to come down to, well, is if one's qualified and the other's not, and the media is telling me this one guy is super dangerous, and at least I know what I'm getting with the first one, that'd be Hillary, that's the one you're going to end up going with, folks. And so I've seen nothing at all in the polls that have altered my view. In fact, it's only been reinforced. I predicted that there would be a, a closing of the gap. There has been, almost exactly as I would expect. I would expect that Trump will get some sort of a bump, not huge, because of the fact that he's already well-known. And by the way, that's presuming that the, the convention goes well. There's still a scenario where the convention does not go well. <laughs> and there's lots of reasons why that might not be the case. But I'm presuming it's going to go at least halfway decently. And when we come back, I'll, I'll make some predictions for what will actually transpire in Cleveland at the Republican convention, a convention unlike any other 
that we've ever seen, for better or for worse. We'll do that on the John and Leah Show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. This is the John and Leah show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host Leah Brandon is uh, out sick this week. She'll be back next week. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. And this week is the uh, convention (laughs) for the Republican Party. At least they they still call it the Republican Party. Uh, But they're having their convention in Cleveland, Ohio this week. And... uh, you know, regardless of what your view is of Donald Trump, this is going to be interesting. There's, we've never seen a convention quite like this one. Of course, you know, Trump promised. Of course, there's always a big difference between what Trump promises and what Trump actually delivers, which is one of the many problems I have uh, with his candidacy. But remember when he said that, well, he said a lot of things. He, he said, by the way, he was going to have his convention acceptance speech in an outdoor stadium. Whatever happened to that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that didn't happen because that would have that would have been a disaster. That would have been a disaster. I think they would have had a hard time filling the stadium. I think there would have been enormous numbers of protesters because there's no possible way you with that number of people that you could vet everybody in there to make sure that they were not protesters. I think the media would have focused all over that. Plus, there have been security issues. So if you're rooting for Donald Trump, thank goodness. That plan didn't work out. He also promised there was going to be a winner's night. Remember this? All of his big sports friends, athletes, maybe some big-time actors, but specifically he mentioned sports figures who are winners because he only deals with winners. He hates losers. He's a winner himself. Remember? And, of course, his fans are telling us, oh, this is going to be awesome. What are we going to have? Uh, Tom Brady. Or uh, Bobby Knight or Mike Tyson. Forget about the fact that he was convicted of rape. Or Mike Ditka, Super Bowl winning coach for the Chicago Bears. It's going to be awesome. There's going to be Tim Tebow. Yeah, Tim Tebow is going to speak. Well, guess what happened? And I predicted this. I predicted this on Twitter, and I believe I predicted this on this show. That was never going to happen because he's too toxic, folks. Tom Brady may love Donald Trump. He's not going to speak at a Republican convention and alienate at least 60% of his fan base, if not more, considering the fact that he's a a New England Patriot out of very liberal Massachusetts. No way. So Brady's not coming. Even Bobby Knight's not coming, which surprised me. I figured Bobby Knight might. Mike Ditka turned him down flat on the phone. The most pathetic situation occurred when it was announced that Tim Tebow, who's currently basically unemployed, no longer in the NFL, that Tim Tebow was going to speak. And within an hour or two, Tebow went to Facebook and said, um, no, actually, sorry, I'm not speaking. How does that happen? How does that happen that the Republican presidential nominee can't even nail down Who's actually speaking? That you get your name on a list 
of people who will be speaking at the convention, Tim Tebow, and he makes it clear, no, no, not speaking, never said I was speaking. Don't know how that happened. And by the way, this is a guy who doesn't have that much to lose. He's got no career. He's been touted as a potential Republican congressional candidate in Florida. So he's actually got a reason to be there, or at least lack of reasons not to be there, and he ain't going to do it. So the winner's night is out. I believe Natalie Gulbis, who is the 400-and-something ranked female golfer in the world, but she definitely has the best rack. As far as her playing, I think she's 452nd. As far as her her breasts, they would be number one. She's the number one ranked female golfer in the world by breast size. And trust me, that's part of why Donald Trump likes her. She used to be halfway decent, but and she looks great in a bikini, but uh, I don't think Natalie Golbus is going to be moving too many votes with her speech about uh, Donald Trump at the Republican convention. However, fear not, because a late addition to the speaker role was one Scott Bayo. That's right. <laughs> Democrats could get George Clooney if they want him. Republicans under Donald Trump last, you know, last time we had Clint Eastwood, that was basically a disaster. Now we're down to Scott Bayo. The funniest part about Scott Bayo speaking at the Republican convention is that apparently, at least according to the way Scott Bayo tells it, his invitation could not have been more haphazard. He literally ran into Trump on the way into a fundraiser. Trump asked him, hey, do you want to speak? Bayo thought it was at the fundraiser. He said, no, at the convention. This was, this was like a few days ago. So, so the, clearly organization is not a strong suit here. That being said, I think expectations are going to be low enough to where unless it's a complete cluster, Well, I'm sorry. Where is a great job supporting her dad. I think she's likely to be a star out of this convention. In fact, the only reason why I think she might not be is that there is so much buzz about her that the expectations for her speech might be a bit high. But I, I would look for big things from Ivanka Trump. I also think that David Clark, the black Democratic sheriff, from Wisconsin, if he doesn't knock it out of the park, and if he's not given us a, a real primetime slot, there is real malpractice going on. Because this guy is going to be perfect given the context of the news. He is very outspoken, very conservative. He has protection in that he's a black guy and a Democrat. And given the news of out of Baton Rouge and Dallas, he may rock the house the news media, it will be fun just to see how they react to him, uh, David White, assuming that he gets a prime slot. But he's the guy I would consider to be the breakout star, potentially, of the Republican convention. Of course, we'll cover it all on the John and Leah show next Sunday night. When we come back, the most outrageous news story of the day involving Joe, of the week, involving Joe Paterno on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network.
Welcome back. This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host, Leah Brandon, is out sick this week. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. You can check out each and every one of the 23 different radio stations that broadcast this program on a weekly basis. By the way, I, I misspoke in the last segment. I believe I referred to uh, David Clark as David White. I think I did. Uh, but David Clark is the um, sheriff from Wisconsin, who I believe is going to be a big star at the convention, although it, <laughs> it might not be his breakout moment because, uh, ironically enough, or maybe appropriately enough, as I checked my Twitter feed during the uh, commercial break, uh, Sheriff Clark went on CNN tonight and got into a huge battle with the uh, CNN's Don Lemon, who's a, a black male anchor. For those who don't know, Sheriff Clark is a black sheriff in Wisconsin who happens to be a Democrat. And from what I can tell, though I didn't get a chance to watch the video, but I believe it based upon uh, those descriptions I see on Twitter, apparently Sheriff Clark just roasted Don Lemon over the issue of the violence against police, specifically in Baton Rouge and Dallas by young black men. So I actually look forward to watching that after the end of the program. If you want to check it out, if you're on Twitter, go to my Twitter feed. <laughs> Just check out uh, John Ziegler or Zygmunt Freud, which is my very, very poorly chosen Twitter handle. But uh, I've just uh, tweeted out uh, two different versions of that particular interview between Sheriff Clark and Don Lemon for your enjoyment. So look, I look forward to how Sheriff Clark is going to do and be perceived at the Republican convention because uh, the timing obviously could not be better. And he has more protection being a black Democrat sheriff than anyone else could possibly have on this issue. And he's just not afraid. He's got big balls and he's a smart guy uh, and he knows how to use his balls. And uh, so that's going to be fantastic. And probably I look forward to that more than I look forward to anything else from the Republican convention. Now, The basic premise of the John and Leah show is that the news media in this country is completely, totally, catastrophically broken. And I'm just not talking about basic liberal bias, which has been around forever. I'm talking about completely and totally broken to the point where stories that you think are without a doubt Situations where the the truth is known, they blow them. Big stories. Huge stories sometimes. In fact, the bigger the story, the more likely it is that what you're being told is not the truth. And I know this sounds conspiratorial. It's not. I do not believe in conspiracies. I'm the ultimate anti-conspiratorialist because I don't think human beings are smart enough or competent enough to pull off conspiracies. And I know the news media isn't smart enough. Because the news media is full of idiots, imbeciles. So it's not a matter of conspiracy. It's a matter of incompetent people, lazy people, pursuing their own self-interest in a system that is no longer set up for the truth to have any bearing at all. Because you got incompetent, overworked people on ridiculous deadlines who are lazy to begin with, who need to churn out content to feed the monster and who will obey any narrative especially on a hot topic because they don't want to lose their job and the easiest way to lose your job is to go outside of the herd because if you go outside of the herd on a big story 
until you, unless you're proven 100% right, there's a good chance you're going to get run over. And that's not worth it to anybody. The truth is not worth it to anybody in the media. I won't even say journalism because journalism doesn't exist anymore. It just does not. But the truth is not just not worth it. There's no risk-reward ratio there for anybody. They just want to hang on to their jobs, their cushy positions, because they're very insecure people, and they think if they get fired, no one will like them, and they're not going to be able to find another job, and that's all that matters. That's all that matters to these news media people. Well, there is no story in my lifetime that is a more perfect example of how badly, how catastrophically the news media is broken than the so-called Penn State scandal. And I've talked about this numerous times in this program because through a bizarre series of events, I have found myself neck deep in this thing for almost five years now. I have no connection to Penn State. I did grow up just outside of Philadelphia and Bucks County. I wasn't even a Penn State football fan. I was a Notre Dame football fan. But incredibly long story short, I ended up doing a documentary film called The Framing of Joe Paterno. At the time, the framing was intended to be figurative, not literal. Now I'm pretty sure it was should have been literal because he has been framed. And you probably saw this week a whole bunch of headlines that seemed like, holy cow, can you believe that the guy everyone thought was, was Mr. Wonderful that had had a 61-year career at Penn State that was marked without a hint of scandal, and he won two national championships and made the Hall of Fame, and he was revered, and, and he did it the right way. Can you believe that that guy was such a fraud that he was told about Jerry Sandusky being a child molester by poor innocent victims of Jerry Sandusky all the way back to 1971 and 1976? And not only did he do nothing, he essentially told these poor victims to go pound sand and he continued to elevate Sandusky and even helped him start a charity for at-risk kids. And that this cover-up went on for 40 years before somehow, for some unknown reason, Joe Paterno blew that cover-up up. Well, that sounded redundant as hell, but... All of a sudden, Joe Paterno in 2011 decides to shatter the cover-up by testifying to a grand jury in a way that would allow authorities to finally arrest Jerry Sandusky after a three-year investigation. That doesn't seem to make a lot of sense, but none of that story makes any sense, folks. In a rational world, in a logical world, forget about anything you know about Joe Paterno, Penn State, Jerry Sandusky, or even college football, just about humanity. That story makes no sense because there was no incentive for Joe Paterno to do any of that. Jerry Sandusky was a nobody back in the 70s. He would have been fired instantly by anybody. There was, There's no evidence. That, forget about evidence. I mean, evidence in this case is, has never been something that anyone seemed to care about because in two or three days, the news media decided they knew what happened. Everybody acted upon that initial firestorm, and everything that's happened since has been a giant, horrendous domino effect resulting in what was released this week. Well, these headlines that you saw this week could not have been based in more utter bullcrap 
if if that was the entire purpose. You could not possibly create a scenario where headlines that definitive, that destructive to a dead man's reputation were based on more obvious bullcrap than this one. Folks, this is the basis of those headlines that I'm sure you at least heard about over the last few days. Because Penn State paid out almost $100 million to the accusers of Jerry Sandusky, and by the way, made it clear they were going to do so the day after Joe Paterno was fired, which was immediately after Jerry Sandusky's arrest, which was insane because Joe Paterno was a star prosecution witness, as I've already alluded to. But after that money was made available, Penn State ended up paying 32 accusers. Now, the insurance company didn't want to pay Penn State in reimbursement for many of those accusers because they didn't believe, one, that the insurance policy demanded that they do so. Also, they didn't believe that Penn State had done a decent job of vetting these claims, which I can assure you they didn't. They made no effort at all to vet these claims. They just wanted to spend other people's money. I mean, this is a liberal academic institution. Just spend taxpayer money to make this thing go away as fast as possible so that we're done with this nightmare. And so in the process of this battle over who's going to pay the almost $100 million that went to Sandusky victims or accusers, a judge writes one line in a decision that says, oh, by the way, you know, some of these accusers are saying that Joe Paterno knew about this back in the 70s. The news media went bananas. Oh, my gosh, we finally have our proof that the original rush to judgment we came to, which ended up in his firing and his death two months later, it wasn't really a rush to judgment. See, 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 we were right. Well, no, what you did was you you took something completely out of context that might be completely, totally full of crap that was stated, obviously, for money from an anonymous person with zero context. So the news media petitioned to have the records of these settlements opened up. And so this week, very small cherry-picked fragments of those documents were released. And boy, did they turn out to be utter, complete, total bullcrap. And when we come back, I'm going to tell you what really facilitated these claims. And it's incredibly obvious. It just takes just a small little bit of thinking and logic and an open mind, none of which the news media has anymore. We'll do that when we come back on the John and Leah Show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. This is the final segment of this edition of the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host, Leah Brandon, is out sick this week. She'll be hopefully back with us next week. The podcast for this program will be posted via SoundCloud and iTunes at freespeechbroadcasting.com Monday morning. So please check that out if you've missed any of the program or if you want to review it for your 
own purposes. Obviously, all the John and Leah shows are via are available via podcast at freespeechbroadcasting.com. So I referenced these uh, horrendous headlines that you probably saw this week that we now have court documents. <laughs> court documents prove that Joe Paterno knew of Jerry Sandusky's pedophilia back in the 1970s and was told by his victims, Sandusky's victims, and told him to go away because he had football games to win. And that uh, there was a 40-year cover-up of Jerry Sandusky. Wow. Horrendous, horrible, horrific stuff. And, boy, if it was true, I, I would be beyond outraged and shocked, and I would be the first person to acknowledge that my support of uh, Joe Paterno's reputation over the last uh, five years would have been greatly misplaced. I would have shut down my website, framingpaterno.com. I would have publicly apologized. And frankly, I would have been thrilled about it because I would have felt as if the burden of having to fight against this massive injustice that I know to have occurred would have been lifted. This has not been a picnic for the last five years. It's been the worst thing that's ever happened in my life other than maybe my mother being killed in a car accident. This, And I mean it. It has been horrendous to take this case on because nobody is interested in the truth here. But let me tell you what these allegations are like and this narrative that the news media has bought hook, line, and sinker because it fits their ratings agenda as well as uh, the agenda of them not having rushed to judgment back when this story broke in November of 2011. Let, let me make an analogy. Early in the program, I, I, I said, you know, on this Minnesota shooting, the news media would have us believe that the only scenario that's plausible is that a police officer decides to, for no apparent reason to shoot and kill a black guy who's driving a car with a woman and a child apparently in the car with him. Just murder a guy simply because of his race. That's the narrative that in the media's mind, that's the only acceptable narrative. That's obviously what happened. What? Seriously? It's just flat out ridiculous. It's an absurdity, especially when there's a plausible alternative scenario that makes a lot more sense, which I've already outlined, which is, one, this was a horrible misunderstanding that led to a tragedy, or two, the guy really was a armed robbery suspect, knew that he was in big trouble, had a gun with him, panicked, pulled out the gun, and got killed. Those scenarios make a hell of a lot more sense. Well, using that analogy to the Penn State Paterno situation, the news media doesn't even want to consider a far, far more logical scenario that's far, far more in keeping with the facts and the evidence in the case, and which totally exonerates Joe Paterno. You see, the statute of limitations for bringing cases of child sex abuse in Pennsylvania is 30 years old. So if you're beyond the age of 30, technically you cannot make a civil claim for child sex abuse in the state of Pennsylvania. Now they're changing that law now, but it's not going to be retroactive. So... When the crap hit the fan and all these accusers of Jerry Sandusky come out of the woodwork once Penn State announces that that Fort Knox is going to be wide open with a key on the table, once that happens, you have a lot of guys coming forward who are way over the age of 30. Well, if you're in that category, you got a problem. Now, if you were a member of Jerry Sandusky's Second Mile Charity, and I know this for a fact because I have inside information, if you were 
a member of that charity, and you're under 30, you got a settlement, no questions asked, almost literally. If you are a little over 30 and you were also a member of the charity and you could make some connection to Penn State, even if just saying it was on campus, you almost certainly got a settlement. The guys who were in trouble were the guys who were really old, who were way outside the statute of limitations. And since the charity started in 1977, if your allegation was before 1977, you clearly had no connection to the charity. So if you're outside the statute of limitations and you're not connected to the charity, guess what you got to do to get your money? You need a really big connection to Penn State. Well, there's no bigger connection than claiming that you told Joe Paterno. And it's not a coincidence that the two allegations that involve accusers allegedly, bizarrely, and under circumstances that are flat out it's just flat out ridiculous. I mean, if you, if you know the facts or the, or the circumstances of the, around the allegations, you just know it's, it's absurd on its face. It's not coincidence that the years of those two allegations are 1976 and 1971. Now, it's not that difficult, folks. All it takes is a little bit of curiosity, a little bit of an open mind, a little bit of understanding of the context, a little bit of understanding of the law and how the settlements worked, and I've laid it all out there for them. I've wrote, written a column for Mediaite, which you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com or framingpaterno.com, laying out exactly how the settlements went down and why it was that these older guys had a huge incentive to claim that Joe Paterno knew. He's a dead guy now. He can't defend himself. The charity didn't exist yet. Not a coincidence, folks. So you have two scenarios. A 40-year nonsensical cover-up for which there's not a shred of legitimate evidence, nor any incentive to do so, run by a guy with an otherwise sterling reputation. In other words, a police officer just murdering a guy because of his race. That's one scenario. Or you have an alternative scenario where guys who couldn't get their free money unless they made an allegation against Penn State or more specifically Joe Paterno, decided, shielded by anonymity, shielded by a process that they were told was never going to become public, and provoked by lawyers who knew what the rules were and how to game the system, simply lied for money. And it wasn't just a little bit of money. The average Penn State settlement was three million dollars now these guys didn't get three million dollars because even penn state knew that their allegation was bullcrap but they paid them anyway because they just wanted it to go away and now all of a sudden the media is pretending as if this was a real trial that happened and then a jury somehow determined that the story was credible and that joe paterno was culpable none of that happened this was just hey You've come to us. You're you're an anonymous person. You claim you, you, that Jerry Sandusky abused you. You claim you told Joe Paterno, give us the story. We're going to give you a check. By the way, in the contract, it's going to say we're not verifying the validity of your claim. We're just saying you can't sue anybody else, and when we want you to go away, and you're not going to talk to anybody about this because we just want this PR nightmare to end. That's what happened, folks. And the end result of this is that a guy who did nothing wrong who lived an exemplary life, a life for the ages, is now forever. He's forever damned 
in public perception because the news media is now completely incompetent and doesn't give a damn about the truth. If you care about the truth, go to my website on that story, framingpaterno.com. Our podcasts tomorrow morning at freespeechbroadcasting.com. I'll see you next week. Till then, I'm John Ziegler. Have a good night, everybody. Thank you.